So, if you follow college sports or if you're familiar with college sports, you may recognize these three letters, N-I-L. Anybody know what those three letters stand for? Name, image, likeness. Name, image, likeness. So for many years, through for all of history until recently, college sports, college athletics were uh, purely amateur, an amateur endeavor. So there was no compensation. Uh, student athletes would maybe get a, f- a full ride or full scholarship to college, but there was no compensation, right, for they, they didn't get to get paid to get to play Uh, until just a few years ago, 2021 to be specific, uh, we've seen the emergence of this thing called the NIL, name, image, likeness, which means that student athletes can now uh, profit off of their name or their image or their likeness. Uh, So so for example, students can now, uh, you know, appear in ad campaigns, they can do endorsement deals uh, for products. Uh, They can sell ads on their social accounts, they can sell merchandise, they can start their own uh, sports camps or their own businesses, they can sell signed memorabilia, Um, they can uh, make paid appearances, deliver speeches for money, uh, all kinds of things. They can sign autographs and be paid for that. A lot of things that formerly weren't possible for student athletes, right? Um, Now, NIL, it's, it's every year it kind of increases and it's more predominant in college athletics. Uh, I would say NIL is pretty polarizing. You know, everybody's got an opinion on this, uh, myself included. Uh, I'm not going to share a lot, but one thing I will say about NIL is uh, I feel pretty bad for the majority of college athletes who are, uh, by all respects, like average athletes. They're not superstars. Um, You know, like most college athletes would probably, for most of us, they are far superior athletically than we are or have ever been or will ever be, right? Um, but, uh, and they're not supposed to get paid based on performance, uh, but come on, let's get real. Like, kickers aren't getting paid. Uh, you don't have backup linemen who are getting endorsement deals from, like, Nike and stuff. The people are getting, the college athletes that are getting paid are those who will probably get paid a lot in the future when they reach the, the pros, right? Um, so... Uh, the one thing I think about with NIL, name, image, likeness, is, man, wouldn't it be, can you imagine being 18, 19, 20 years old and uh, profiting off of your name and your image and your likeness? Uh, that'd be pretty incredible, wouldn't it? Like, I, I did think about this morning, there is one ungodly fool in the world who is making a lot of money off of my name. Uh, he is not a godly man, uh, but he's stolen my name. I'm the original Andrew Tate, if you ever heard that name. Uh, If you don't, do not look him up. You don't need to see his nonsense. Uh, But wouldn't it be incredible to get, to to have a name and image and likeness that is worth a ton, like actually had substantial uh, value? Uh, Well, I'm setting you all up, right? Because here's a sermon, like here's a sermon spoiler alert. The Bible says that we have been created in the image and after the likeness of God our creator which tells us that we are we are intrin- we have intrinsic deep intrinsic value and worth in the sight of God maybe far more than you will ever feel or experience in this lifetime uh, but that is what we're going to talk about this morning we're in week 
four of this series called Knowing God's Truth, uh, based on a book of the same name, which if you haven't gotten a copy and you want one, we have, uh, I believe, seven copies left. Uh, if you've got $10 you want to donate for that, great. If not, feel free to grab a copy anyways. Uh, we'd love that for, for that to be a gift to you. This is an introduction to systematic theology, which sounds really intimidating, but theology, as we've been talking about, simply means words about God. So we're talking about God, we're learning about who he is. Systematic theology is just a way in which we uh, take all the things and the doctrines and the teachings and the ideas that Scripture talks about throughout the Bible, and we're systematically organizing them into categories like uh, who is God, what is Scripture, what is heaven and hell, what are angels and demons, all those questions you saw uh, in the video. Those are things that we're, we're answering. This is systematic theology, and it's an introduction. So it's meant to be, the goal of this is really for all of this to be accessible. Theology ought to be accessible to everyone because we are all theologians. We all have thoughts uh, in words about God, and so what we're trying to do is, is make sure they line up with what Scripture says. So we're in week number four. Uh, we've started with pretty broad uh, subject matter, and we'll kind of narrow it down as we go along. So we've started with what is theology, what is Scripture, who is God, very broad subjects. Uh, today is going to be also pretty broad, but the question we're answering this morning is, what is man? What is man? And that's a, that word man is a, a term, that's a general term for all of humanity, men and women, uh, but we're answering this question, what is man? This is commonly known as anthropology, or more specifically for us, biblical anthropology. So this is a question, out of all the questions that we're going to look at throughout these 12 weeks, this is, this is the one question that, like, realistically, every single human being asks at some point over the course of their life. Like, who am I? What, why do I exist? What is the purpose of my life? And so this morning, biblical anthropology, we're going to ask this question, what does the Bible say about who we are, why we exist? And so I'm going to ask you all, if you have a Bible uh, or a Bible app, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, which is, oddly enough, it is the easiest and yet the most difficult place to find in your Bible. Have you ever tried to find like the first page that is, you know, a little bit into the, it's just the hardest place to find in your Bible. Genesis chapter one. I invite you to stand with me, if you will. And we're going to read verses 26 through 28. And we do this because we believe this is God's word. It is truth. It is life. God reveals who he is and how we can relate to him in his word. Genesis one. Verses 26 through 28, here is what the scriptures say. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's word. Amen. And so, Lord, thank you this morning for your word. Uh, thank you for uh, putting breath into our lungs today and bringing us here today that we could hear from you, that we could learn about you. Um, God, we're just grateful for this, this church and the opportunity that we have to worship you uh, together as your people. Uh, and so, God, I pray that this morning as we ask and attempt to 
answer this question, God, even though we'll never be able to fully uh, answer this in, in, in this time that we have this morning, God, I pray that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts, that you would open us up to the truth uh, of your word. God, I pray that whatever we b- brought into this room, no matter what's going on in our life, uh, no matter what uh, our thoughts are captivated by this week, God, I pray that uh, for this time that you would speak to us and that you would open up our hearts and minds uh, to whatever it is that you want to say to us. Help us to have uh, submissive hearts, uh, to hear what you have to say, and God, I pray that you would uh, speak to us, that you would move in this time that we have together. So I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Why don't you go ahead and be seated. So we're going to work through the same framework we've been doing throughout this series, Head, Heart, Hands. Head, Heart, Hands. Theology should impact every part of us, how we think, how we feel, and and how we act, how we live. And so we're dividing this up into head, heart, and hands. I'll spend most of the time this morning in the head portion. We'll wrap up with heart and hands. So let's start with head. Uh, Let me make a confession this morning that uh, when it comes to stories and movies, I am a sucker for origin stories. Uh, Y'all know what I'm talking about, origin stories. Uh, Maybe you'll be familiar with MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, which has totally run its course. I mean, it started out strong and for about 10 years put out some good movies, and now, hmm, not not so much. Uh, They're not great. Okay, maybe y'all are Marvel fans. Sorry if I offended you. No laughter this morning. Y'all, wake up. Come on now. Uh, Origin stories. So, like, in my opinion, the best stories or the best films in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, always the origin stories, always the ones that go back and we say, okay, where did this character come from? Where where did his story begin? How did this individual get to where they are? So origin stories, I think, uh, are are, are the best. Uh, I think this is why a lot of movie franchises, uh, you know, they started with making uh, sequels, you know, like I remember, I don't know, back in the day, like Rocky. Oh, that was a great movie. So let's make another one, Rocky Two, and then Rocky Three, and then Rocky Four. And everybody know how many Rockies there are anymore? Uh, there's multiple, multiple. But then it's like, let's not. Okay, here's another way to make money. <laughs> let's stop doing sequels. Let's do what? Prequels. Prequels. Like those may have been a thing before. I don't remember them until like late '90s and Star Wars came out with the prequels, right? And now it's, it's a thing. Yes, it's another way to milk us dry, you know, for us fans of different films, like franchises. Uh, but it's also, uh, it, I think it's impactful to go back to the beginning, the origin story. And so uh, uh, this is the same thing in the work of God in the world. This is why we go back to the book of, of Genesis, because the, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. It is the book of origins. When we go back to the book of Genesis, we see God's creative work as he forms the world and as he forms human beings. And and we see in the beginning the original intent and design by God. And so it's helpful. It's helpful when we, you know, lose our, our way. It's helpful to go back to the beginning, to the origin and see God's original intent for things. And so that's what we're going to do. That's what we need to do, really, as we, as we answer this question. And so Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and even in the Genesis chapter 3, uh, those chapters, those are really our origin story. This is, this is where, we, where we came from. This is where the existence of, of mankind uh, originates. So it, it helps us to make sense out of life and our world and even our own personal lives. 
And so there's a lot we could say this morning in trying to answer this question, uh, what is, is man? But I want to primarily focus in Genesis 1 and 2 this morning, our origin story. So there's three phrases that we're going to work through this morning. And if you remember nothing else, I hope you remember these three things this morning. Created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. Created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. I hope you remember that because there will be a test at the end of this sermon. All right, we're going to say that all together. Created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. So starting with the first one, created by God. And I know this is a simple statement and idea, and yet for some people, uh, for, for many of us, we've been in church our whole lives, we, we understand this, we know Genesis 1 and, and 2, and yet we need to keep coming back to our origin story. And it's this, that God is the creator, we are his creatures. God is creator, we are his, his creatures. And from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 on, you know, Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what we see from the, from the very beginning, Genesis 1, 1 and on, is that all things find their origin in God. All things find their origin in God. All of existence, everything comes from God. You know, last week we, we talked about the question, who, who is God? And we looked at some of his attributes, and we talked about uh, attributes that were uh, incommunicable, things that only belong to God, and then communicable attributes, things that can be true of us as, as well. And one of those, those characteristics or uh, attributes that stood out to me was self-existent. And I just remember that this phrase has kind of been stuck in my brain all week. It said this, at one time, nothing but God himself existed. At one time, nothing but God himself existed. And I've just been thinking about that all week because what we see is that although there was at one point nothing else in existence other than God, what we see in Genesis chapter 1, God begins to get to work and he creates uh, all things out of nothing. Now, there is a Latin phrase I'm going to use throughout this morning and this series. I'm going to introduce you to a number of Latin phrases, uh, so bear with me. It's a little nerdy. I hope you, maybe some of, the, some of you remember some of these things. Uh, but the, the phrase is uh, commonly used ex nihilo, ex nihilo, which I don't have that on the screen, uh, but it means out of nothing, that God created everything out of, of nothing. And so God begins to create in Genesis chapter 1. It says that he created the heavens and the earth. He creates day and, and night, the waters and the dry land, vegetation, the sun and the moon and, and the stars. And then he begins to create animals, fish, mammals, birds, livestock, dinosaurs. You all didn't see that in there, Genesis chapter 1? It says beasts of the earth, so and it, could fit, it could fit in there. I'm just trying to wake you all up this morning. Hello. Right? So he begins to create all of, of these things and comes down to verse number 26. And, and let me read verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make man. Now we saw last week that this, this is referring to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, having a little conference here and saying, let us make man. So 
first few days creates all of these things, and, and we see the phrase over and over, God created, God created, God made, God made, and, and at, at the creation of all these things, you remember God made kind of a, he, he, he made an observation after, as he was creating things. At the end of each day, he would see things, and he would declare it what? It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Day number six, he comes along, and, and he creates man. And, and then in verse number 31, triune, God creates man, and he declares this creation not just good, but what? It's very good. It is very good. And so there's this very clear distinction between all that God has made, every single thing that God has made, and this creation of, of man, mankind. He says, Yo, this is very good. This is very good. And all of creation Man stands apart from everything else that God has created. He says, this is very good. And so this morning, I know this is, again, a simple starting point, but yet this is the necessary foundational starting point that we have to come to, that, that we cannot lose sight of our nature as created beings. Uh, one of the books that I'm reading, You Are a Theologian, they say that we can't lose our sense of creatureliness that we are creatures because creatures have limitations, unlike the creator. And so we can't lose sight of the fact that we are created beings. We are his creatures. When we lose sight of, of this simple truth, that he is creator, we are his creatures, we fall into the Romans chapter 1 trap. Romans is a, a book in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul declares in there that what, what happens in, in our culture, in our world, is that the creation tends to get their eyes off of the creator and begins to worship and serve the creation, created things, rather than our creator. And, and when we lose sight of the fact that we are created beings, this is the trap that we fall into. We begin to worship ourselves and our own desires and created things rather than the one who created us. And so the first thing we need to understand from our origin story is that we are created by God, created by God. Second thing we need to talk about this morning is that we are created by God in the image of God, created by God in the image of God. So when God made us, it wasn't like he, it wasn't like he made man the way that we would, you know, the way we would make a PB&J sandwich. All right, don't ask me why that's the, the, the first thing that came to my mind. Maybe it's because it's the, like the only thing I can actually make, right? Slap some peanut butter and some jelly and bam, call it good, done, right? It wasn't like he just slapped it together and was like, all right, there you go. No, he declared it very good and he created man in a way unlike anything else in all of his creation. Unlike anything else, go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go to the next chapter, which in Genesis chapter 2, it kind of revisits. It's almost a look back with a little bit more detail on the creation of, of, of man. And so in Genesis chapter 2, it says this in verse 7 and 8. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature." And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. 
I, I so love this, this, the descriptiveness of this because, you know, what you see through Genesis 1 is some of the things God created, he created, you know, with, by the word of his mouth. Uh, but then when you come to when you come to this passage, when it comes to man, what we know for sure about man is it says that God formed the man of the dust of the ground. And so it's as if, and this is, I've used this big word before, anthropomorphism, which means we attribute to God human qualities. God didn't actually like get in the dust and the dirt and start like molding and fashioning and forming. But that is the picture that the Bible gives us, that out of the dust of the ground, God forms man, but man doesn't become a living creature or a living soul until what? Until God breathes life into his nostrils. And this morning, you know, I was prepared for the sermon, but one of the thoughts that captured me that I didn't, didn't have in my thinking throughout this was, was this very verse that, you know, I, one of the prayers I pray a lot, um, I even prayed it this, this morning, was, you know, God, thank you for putting breath in my lungs because I realize that there's going to come a day where I'm going to breathe my last breath and I'm not going to take another breath of oxygen on this planet. But when I thought about that this morning, I was just thinking how, like, God has breathed the very breath of God into our souls to animate and to bring us to life. And so the fact that you are are alive and breathing this morning isn't just a testament to the fact that uh, you have oxygen in your lungs. It's a testament to the fact that God has breathed life into your being to make you a living soul. Don't lose sight of that, y'all. He is the creator, but he has created us in a very special way. He's breathed his breath into us, but there's, there is one major distinction between us and everything else that he created, everything else that was good, 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 good. It says that in verse, let's go back to Genesis 1, verse number 26. It says this, God said, let us make man, how? In our image, after our likeness. In our image, after his likeness. And so what you see here is, you know, in, in verse 26, God God devises this plan. He says, hey, let us make man. We're going to make man in our image. We're going, to give, uh, we're going to give him dominion over all the earth. He's going to rule over everything. So he, he creates a plan, comes up with a plan in verse 26. And then verses 27 and 28, he, he executes it. He says, okay, let's do this. Verse 27 and 28 says, so God created man. He ends up doing the things that he just talked about in plan. Look at verse number 27. It says, so God created man. Here it is, in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so there's this very clear distinction between all that God has created, and it's all good. Listen, y'all, if, if you look into creation and you see all the glory and the majesty and the beauty of all God has created, whether, whether you're a fan of the mountains or the ocean, uh, whatever it is, animals, all the beautiful, incredible things that God has created that he says is good. And then he comes along and there's this very special distinction with man, that man is created with the image of God, after the likeness of God. 
Y'all, of all the things that you could look at in creation and marvel and stand in awe of, there is not one other thing in all of creation that has the image of God woven into the fabric of its being like you do. You have the image of God, the mark of God upon your very being. You are made in the image and in the likeness of God himself. You are the only thing. We are the only ones in all of creation that can claim that. We stand apart from everything else in all of, of creation. This is what, uh, you know, when I think about this, uh, as I was preparing for this, the thought that came to mind was uh, each of my four kids. Uh, I, I thought about one of the most uh, remarkable uh, incomparable experiences I've had in my life was holding each of my brand new uh, babies, my three boys and my daughter. It's weird to talk about now because they're like from 20, three of my four kids are all bigger than me now, so it's weird to talk about or think about. But I remember holding each and every single one of them, and I marveled at the fact that uh, this little creature is made in my image. Now, to be fair, uh, every newborn baby looks like they could be mine because they all have squishy, squinty eyes. Uh, and they all look Asian, right? Uh, so they all look like they could belong to me. But I just remember holding each of those babies and going, man, this, this, is, this child, uh, for, for better or worse, is going to grow up and they're going to look like me. They're going to be made in my image. And think about the God of this universe, that every single human being uh, is made in his image, in his likeness. This is an amazing, amazing thing, created by God in the image of God. This is, let me, let me introduce you to another Latin phrase. This is what's called the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei, which means image of God. That every human being bears the Imago Dei. Nothing else in all of creation has the imprint of the Creator upon it. The Imago Dei. So, what does it mean to bear His image? It means that all human beings reflect something of the character and the nature of God, something good of God in, albeit a, a limited and very human way, right? But every single human being uh, speaks something about the goodness of, of God. Again, last week we talked about communicable attributes, attributes that um, God has, but we could also have and reflect of him also. So, so here's, here's the truth about the Imago Dei, the image of God in all of us, is that every, pers every person, even unregenerate people, that's what we would call unsaved, someone who is not a Christian, someone who would, uh, even people who don't subscribe or have a belief in, in the God of the Bible or an allegiance to the God of the Bible, every single person, believer in Christ or not, bears the Imago Dei and in some, some way reflects something about God. One of these communicable attributes, whether it's love or, or justice or grace or mercy or truthfulness or wisdom, we can see in every single human being the marks of, of the creator because every person has been created in God's image. And the fact that every human being has the Imago Dei means that every human being, every single human being has intrinsic worth, value, and dignity. Every single person. They may be despised and, and overlooked by other human beings, but not by God. Because they're made in his, 
his image. Have you all ever heard or maybe you've used the phrase uh, of somebody else? Maybe you've said, only, only a mother could love that child. Y'all ever said that? Maybe it's been said of you, right? Only a mother. So, like, think about with, with God. Maybe, maybe only God might love you or this other person. But here's the amazing reality is that it is true, is that God loves you. He loves me. He lo- loves every person because they are made in his image. They bear the marks of, of the creator. He didn't, he didn't just slap us together. He made us with intention and with care and with love. He created us in his very image. I want to read a quote to you again from this book that I've, I've been reading. It's kind of a companion book for me for, uh, with this uh, Knowing God's Truth. It's called You Are a Theologian. Jen Wilkin and J.T. English, they say this, There is no such thing as conditionality to image bearing. That means there is no such thing as conditional dignity. Image bearing is not based on usefulness. Image bearing is not based on ability. Image bearing is not based on productivity or contribution. Image bearing means that all humans, regardless of social, intellectual, or physical distinctions, are endowed with divine dignity, value, and worth. Every single person, think about this, every single person you have ever met bears God's image. Every single person, even the person who is opposed to God himself, bears the very image of of their creator. Created by God in the image of God. And I just want to take a moment to point out the end of of verse 27, uh, because I think this is important. This isn't a soapbox. Uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but I think we need to see this because this is part of God's original intention. Verse number 27 It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Here's the phrase, male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in Genesis chapter 2, remember Genesis 1, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he kind of breaks his pattern. He looks at his creation and he he makes a, a a, a, a different statement. He says, it is not good. Y'all remember? You know what he's talking about? What is not good in the sight of God? It's not good that man should be alone. He needs a companion. He needs a partner. And I want you to think about with Adam, right? God is bringing all the animals to Adam. Adam is naming every animal. You notice every, every animal has like a corresponding like partner, right? Uh, except Adam. And Adam is going, okay, what, what's going on? What's going on? God brings him Eve. Y- y'all remember what Adam's first, like his declaration, when his, his like praise of God, when God, God brings him the woman, you remember what he said? He said, at last, at last. That's what every single man says when God brings him a woman, right? At last, finally, God, there is somebody made for me. Right? Now, he says at last because God has, finally, that God, God has finally made something that is like me. And so, first of all, there is a fundamental sameness to, to man and woman. They're both made in the image of God. This is why Adam 
cries out, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's just, she is like me in the sense that we are made in the, in the image of God. We are physical and spiritual beings, and there's so much more we could unpack here, but she is like me. There is a physical or a fundamental sameness to their being. And yet, and this is the understatement of the day, there is a fundamental distinct difference between male and female. Amen? <laughs> Yes, you know it. Uh, we don't have to belabor that point. There is a difference. They need one another. They are, they are not interchangeable, and, and they cannot accomplish God's mission of multiplication without one another. They need both male and female. Now, I, again, I don't want to stand on a soapbox this morning, but you need to know this, and I know you are pretty aware of this, this is, you know, we, we ask this question, what is, what is man? And we go, okay, this is a theological question. Okay, what are we going to see what the Bible says? Listen, y'all, if we're going to be very practical, this is the one teaching in the Bible that is the most under attack and the most under fire in our culture today. What is man? What is male? What is female? All of, of these things, this is, this is by far the one teaching uh, that is under the most attack in our country and our world today. There is so much confusion and hostility and all kinds of things around, uh, around this subject matter, what God has established since the beginning. And this is a battleground. This is a, a battleground for, uh, I, I, the reason I bring this up is because this is a, uh, this is a battleground for our nation, for our country, for our world, uh, for the next generation. This is the reason I bring this up, because what we have is a culture who is discipling our kids and is discipling the next generation through all kinds of means, through social media, through all media. And they're discipling our kids in a way that is boldly and blatantly contradicting God's word and God's created order. Very boldly, very blatantly, in every form of media you can, you can find. Now listen, here's all I'm saying this morning, is we need to boldly, but compassionately, lovingly, winsomely, proclaim what is true from the origin story. We could choose to go a different way. We could choose to distort that uh, and and disregard God's instructions, but things won't go well with us. Things won't go well for our nation when we do that. Sexuality is important. Gender is important. And those that wrestle with these things, it is important. This is very important in our generation. And so we cannot lose our way. We have to go back to the origin story. And we don't want to beat people over the head with truth. But, man, we need to know and be established in the truth, rooted in the truth, because it's for the sake of the next generation. We're living in a time when many, many young men and women are growing up confused about who they are and why they were made. And these, are very, these have always been legitimate questions from the beginning of time. But we need to know the truth of God's word and disciple the next generation in the truth of God's word. And so God has created us with intention um, and, and love. And let, let me read you another quote from Jen Wilkin and JT English. I think this is uh, helpful. It says this, 
Humanity cannot bear God's image to the next generation apart from the contribution of both sexes. When we distort, overlook, or erase human sexuality as God created it, we participate in attempting to overturn God's created order. As Paul notes in Romans 9, we are pots formed by the potter. We've already been singing that this morning. Rather than ask, why have you made me thus, we submit to his infinitely superior wisdom and insight, trusting his good purposes in giving us the physical body we have been given. And so created by God, in the image of God, and here's the third and final thing we're going to talk about this morning, for the glory of God, for the glory of God. Again, I want to, I want to backtrack into Genesis 1. Um, again, in verse 26, God establishes his mission. He says, I want to make man in my image after my likeness, and then I want to give man and woman uh, dominion over all the earth. In other words, this is, here's another phrase I'm going to introduce you to. It's, it's an English phrase. You're, you're welcome. All right, it's called the cultural mandate, the cultural or creation mandate. So what is the cultural or creation mandate? What is, what is God saying to his, his, his creation, his first man and woman here? Well, the cultural mandate is this. Man is to rule or to have dominion over all of creation. He's to be a steward over, over all the earth, to cultivate it, to really continue the work of God in ordering what is disordered, and ultimately to fill the earth with his glory. So man is, is like a, like God is king, mankind is like his, his vice regents. They get to rule and represent God and his glory uh, on the earth uh, to all the world. We see this in, in Eden. This, this call really to glorify God and to spread his glory into all the earth. But you can trace this theme really throughout the entire Bible. And it's this, that God's people exist to bring God glory. God's people exist to bring God glory, right? So he, he creates us in his image and in his likeness. And the goal is that we would take his his glory, and we reflect that to all of, of the world. That was, that was the, the mandate from, from the very beginning, and, and nothing has changed. It is our job, our responsibility, our privilege to glorify God in our lives, to represent him in all that we do. And so this, this infuses every single thing we do with, with supernatural meaning, right? This, this brings meaning and worth to every task we perform, to every job that we work, to every relationship that we have, to every situation and location that we inhabit. We do things in a way, we are called to do things in a way that glorifies God and rightly reflects his glory, that rightly images who he is to the entire world. To, to bring glory to God. This is, this is why I love the beauty of this really simple instruction from Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He says whether it's big or whether it's as simple as, as eating and drinking, all that you do, do it for the glory of God. We are created, created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. We are meant to glorify him in all that we 
we do. Now, there is, there's way more that we could talk about this, this morning when it comes to man. We could, we could dive into that whole thing about the fact that we are physical and spiritual beings. The book kind of talks about that, that our, flat, our, our, our humanity isn't evil, um, but God created us uh, as, as physical and spiritual beings. We could talk about that. Uh, we could, we will next week talk about the idea of sin, uh, that sin has, when, when sin infected Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, we'll, we'll answer the question next week, what is sin? But when sin entered into the world and into the human race, uh, it distorted and it marred the image of God in us. And, and so, so we, are, we, we have the image of God in us, and yet sin has, has done much Damage, right? It has separated us from God, but it has also um, it has also obscured the image of God in us, and this is why we need the gospel. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came as the true and better image bearer, the one the Bible says, uh, Colossians 1 verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, what the Bible says is that Jesus, he, he is the ultimate image bearer of God. He is the one who perfectly images who God is and what he is like to the world. And Jesus came as the true and better image bearer. He lived a perfectly sinless life in obedience to the Father, offered his life as a substitutionary payment for our sin so that we could have a relationship with God. This is why Jesus came to restore in us the image of God. And so from the moment we come to faith in Jesus until the moment we enter into his presence, we are continually being conformed into his image. And we needed Jesus to come in order to bring us forgiveness so that we could have a relationship with God. And so we'll talk more about sin next week, but those are things we need to understand when it comes to uh, this question. So created by God, in the image of God, for the glory of God. That's, that's this head portion. Let me just spend a couple minutes on heart and hands as we wrap up this morning. How ought this to impact our hearts and our affections and our desires? Well, let me say it this way. Knowing all that we know that we are created in the image of God, uh, created by God in the image of God for the glory of God, should impact our hearts in two incredibly significant ways. You see it on the screen. How we see and treat ourselves and how we see and treat others, how we see and treat ourselves and how we see and treat others. So let me talk about you for a second. I don't care who you are, what you think about yourself. You are no unimportant, regular person. You were created in the very image of God. You have the mark of the creator upon you. He made you on purpose for a purpose. You are not an afterthought but you were created with intention and love. And this knowledge, this knowledge ought to in us provoke or produce within us a deep sense of, of peace, right? And humility and gratitude and purpose that God has created us in his image for a purpose. And listen, it ought to impact how we see and treat other people, 
every other person has been made in the image of God. It ought to impact how we look at other people. That includes people who frustrate you. That includes people who disappoint you. That includes people who hurt you. It includes people who disgust you. It includes people who don't look like you. It includes people who don't think or even believe like you do. Don't even believe what we believe as a church. It includes every single person that we would look at people as individuals created in the image of, of God. And listen, I know every one of us could use this reminder every single day of our lives because we don't typically look at other people as that valuable, and yet God does. So this ought to impact the way that we see other people. Every single person is made in the image of God and is deeply valued by God, and because they are deeply valued by God. That ought to carry substantial weight with us. No person, listen, is a throwaway. No person is a throwaway. I want to read to you Psalm 8, verses 1 through 6. I believe we looked at this back in our summer in the Psalms last year. Psalm 8, 1 through 6. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, here's a question. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And so how ought we to live in light of this? Let's talk for just a moment as we close about hands. How do we live in light of this? Okay, here is the, the final Latin phrase of the morning I want to introduce you to. It's this phrase, sole Deo Gloria, sole Deo Gloria, which means glory to God alone. Y'all remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about Scripture, and I introduced you to the phrase sola scriptura. Anybody remember that? Know what it means? Scripture alone. All right, I heard it. Scripture alone. There were five Latin phrases that kind of uh, summarized the Reformation. Uh, one of them was Scripture alone. One of them was sole Deo Gloria. Sole or sola means alone. Glory to God alone. Glory to God alone. And, and I just want to end with this kind of, of statement. Uh, the more I understand my origin story, the more my battle cry will become sole dea gloria. Uh, like the, the, the more I understand my origin story, okay, not just your background and your history and all those things, which is, is so important, but no, no, our, our origin story, which is that God created us, he created us in his image, and he created us for our glory. The more and more we understand that, the more the cry of our life is going to be, sole deo gloria. God, I live for you and for your glory alone. I, live, I will live less for myself. I will live less for my glory. I will live less for my plans. I will live less for my agenda. I will live less for my, uh, for my pleasure. God, I will live sole deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. This is why God created us. So 
Will you all say it with me? The three phrases. Uh, I'll give you a warm-up round and then we'll say it for real, all right? Created by God in the image of God for the glory of God, okay? Warm-up done. Stand up with me and let's say it all together. We were created. Here it is. Created by God in the image of God for the glory of God. Amen? God, thank you for all that you have done in making us and breathing into our, our very souls the breath of life. God, we are grateful that you have made us with intention and purpose and care. God, that you have made us in your very image. Uh, God, for your glory. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we come back to that reality, as we come back to that, that truth of, of who we are and what you have made us to be, God, would you, for, for many of us, remind us uh, of, of our origin story. And God, for some of us, um, maybe this is new or maybe these are things that we're, we're wrestling with, our purpose and our existence and, and all these things. God, I pray that you would uh, draw us to the heart of, of God this morning. And God, help us to soak in the, the truth of your word that, um, God, we, we're not an afterthought in the heart and mind of God. You have grand and glorious and eternal purposes and plans for every single one of us. And you proved our worth by putting the mark of our maker upon our soul. So God, thank you for that this morning. I pray that we would live in light of that. I pray that it would have impact how we see ourselves. God, many people even in this room might look at themselves with disdain or frustration or disappointment in who they are. And that God, you value every single one of us. I pray that we would see ourselves the way that you see us. God, I pray that we would see the people around us the way that you see them. God, help us to love people the way that you love us. I pray that we would, we would glorify you. I pray that the battle cry of our lives, I pray that the battle cry of our church would be sole deo gloria, for the glory of God alone, because you are worthy. You are worthy. And God, we declare that this morning, and we will sing it. We love you. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.